and that's informed through our DNA that we are always moving and working. And it's in our blood that we have been conditioned to um, work ourselves to death. And uh, with that understanding, that term that we use, the pillar of being still is trying to heal that generational trauma that we were forced to work and being still was um, dangerous for us in a lot of ways and for a very long time. The Your Life After podcast is a place where people can talk about the lives they lead after traumas. This podcast will feature survivors, victims, and professionals sharing their experiences, expertise, insights, and struggles. The goal here is not to showcase stories of triumph, though I'm sure some of those stories will be triumphant. The goal is to shine a light on our own shared humanity and to perhaps encourage someone to move forward through their own trauma. I'm your host, Robin Dunn-Bryant. I'm a coach who helps people heal from the physiological effects of generational trauma, sexual abuse, and sexual assault. Let's get talking, shall we? Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. I'm so glad that you're here with us tonight. Um, why don't we just jump right in? Okay. <laughs> All right. You, you describe yourself in your bio. I really want to, I want to be clear on this because it sounds really interesting. You describe yourself as a labor and abolition activist. What do you mean by that? Well, my background is in prison abolition work and understanding what that means for the current world. And when I uh, first went into undergrad, I worked with some student groups who deemed themselves labor activists, and that was a lot of my um like extracurricular study was about labor rights more globally than uh, nationally at, at first. I was doing work with uh, groups that were trying to fight against sweatshops and groups that were acknowledging immigrant rights. And that's kind of how I started in the social justice realm as a student. And when I got older and out of college, I started um, understanding the intersection between slavery, labor, and prison. And that's kind of how I, I guess, like, bloomed into prison abolition and understanding what that meant. I think abolition um, was, like, interesting to me, mostly because I'd always wondered if there was an alternative to prison or if there was an alternative jail or the way that we punish people for uh, what I would consider traumatic symptoms. And the way that I entered into abolition is basically through prison letter writing in a group that was here in Pittsburgh that started writing letters to prisoners. And that's how I came to understand abolition, like at a basic level. And so is that is that still kind of the focus part of the focus of your work is is in this much needed reform for prison and prisoners, pe- both people um, 
that are in and the people that are out? Is that still a part of your focus or is that just a lens that you're seeing things through? It's a lens that I see things through now. I worked as a manager for a, a group that tried to abolish the Allegheny County Jail here, um, co-managed, and then I was the lead for a while. Um, honestly, we got to the point that it was unsafe for a lot of us to keep doing our work, and we didn't gather enough support to be able to continue um, outside of prison walls. And so that group isn't anymore. And from that kind of work, just personally, I became exhausted in a lot of different ways. And I saw the way that uh, the people that I was working with became exhausted. And even through the stories I would hear from prisoners or people being detained even temporarily in the jail, sleep came up a lot as this very visceral form of torture, Mm -hmm. especially in the way that um, cells often have the light on above them 24-7, in the way that the mattresses are for prisoners, um, blankets, the textures, um, all those little things that I think we just might overlook if you're not in the direct work. And so I started thinking about that along with my own labor history, and that's kind of what informs my work now. I really, I really love that. I, I get excited when people, um, I, I never think about everything being like a straight path, not for me. That doesn't make sense, right? I like mm-hmm. to kind of pull things from different places and weave things together. Mm-hmm. Um, and gosh, I, I, you know, I, I don't have any backgrounds. I'm not, I'm not done any work in or around prisons. Um, but the, the idea that just by the design that that part of your life is torturous to you. Uh, mm-hmm. doesn't escape me how horrible that can be. I mean, it is a, it's a base level need of everyone. We cannot mm-hmm. function without enough sleep or without good enough sleep. It's just not, it's not right. Our bodies will not respond well. And mm-hmm. so adding to the stress of being detained, adding to the stress of the way that detainment works, and then um, kind of moving into that, now you've got this space that you literally can't be comfortable in. I, I can't imagine how that would work for anybody. That just doesn't seem um, that doesn't seem right, right? It doesn't seem right that that could be the thing that would happen for somebody. Um, okay, thank you for explaining that because it was something that I didn't I didn't understand, and I wanted to I wanted to start kind of with that that level of understanding because I I had a feeling that it would inform some of the things that you were you were doing right now. And it, it seems to me that you've kind of, you know, speaking of this kind of weaving, that you have, um, you've woven your life and, and, and your experiences squarely around healing in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about those other experiences and strengths that you bring to your work. You said, you mentioned something about being a horticulturalist. I have kept some plants alive. I'm very proud of that. Like that's, that's, it's a big, it's a big deal. Like for a long time, I'm like, I can keep children alive. And that was about as good as it got. I couldn't do fish. I could do kids and dogs. I did okay with them, but I got some house plants maybe a year and a half ago. And we're getting to the point where some of them are sprouting babies and we've got to get rid of, get rid of the babies and put them in other other pots. And, um, And we have vegetables that are growing, which we've never been able to do. Um, oh, so, yeah, I'm I'm really <laughs> I'm feeling pretty proud about that. But tell us about those those things that you're bringing in because you've got this 
this this square and this solid space, right? Looking at this work in in labor and and prison reform, um, but also these other things that you're peppering in into the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the abolition was really the gateway to my deeper understanding of healing. So the way that I understand abolition is getting to the root of a problem of an injustice and when I think back to how I felt as a child as of a natural healer which is just something I do believe about myself is that I was often looking to understand the root of any kind of problem that was um, that I was presented with as a child as a teenager and I didn't have the the wording or the vocabulary to really explain that to myself. But when I started understanding abolition and that there, there was a new world possible and that other people were thinking about that, that really solidified a lot of things. I look at healing and also parts of my background are harm reductive. And so I try to mix abolition with getting to the radical root of things to um, understanding that a lot of people need time and uh, the freedom to heal. And that's what informs my therapy work, especially because where I grew up, uh, not unsimilar to a, a lot of people, um, I grew up in um, Youngstown, Ohio, and in a particular time where it was um, dangerous for a lot of people. And uh, having that around me as a child and trying to understand what was the cause and what is the solution, um, I kept that in the back of my head, again, as people need time to heal and need space to heal, and that a lot of the things that are happening, sometimes that um, present in our communities aren't because of uh, personality traits or aren't often aren't or aren't because of um, like actual individual actions that they're systemic. Um, Looking back into my life growing up in Youngstown, um, I started to understand that and that again informs my healing as um, healing as something that is different for black folks in particular than any other kind of like psychotherapy that maybe a non-black person or especially a white person would undergo. And are you working currently as a therapist as well? Is that, is that kind of part of the work that you're doing? Mm-hmm. And, um, and how is your, tell us how your, your practice is a little bit different than kind of the standard model. Um, I, I am very, really very interested in that to, to hear kind of your thoughts around that yeah I I work as a therapist in two ways so I have uh, this model that uh, Windifier and I have been creating together and then I use uh, acceptance and commitment therapy in my regular work kind of have like two positions and so I work for a private practice part-time and when I'm working with clients in that way I ask about rest and sleep often but I mostly use a general modality from acceptance and commitment therapy, which is very emotion focused and um, self focused. And when I do work as a rest doula, which I consider a form of therapy, I focus on how rest shows up in each individual life 
and how people prioritize it, what they think it means. And I really try to take that concept as if it's its own living entity, um, like as if rest was like a part of all of us. Um, um, even I try to get people to make an image out of the, the rest self the rest itself and I use that to again try to inform folks about how rest could be a, more a part of someone's life how it it's been a part and how to call on it when you need to that reminds me I I was uh so we're recording this on Juneteenth Mm-hmm. Um, and a buddy of mine posted something today, and I was like, oh, this is really timely, because I knew we were talking this evening. I'm going to read this to you, because I, I really I think that this may connect to some work that you're doing um, and, and your black rest theory. Mm-hmm. I'm just making this up, right, just for the yes. people that are listening at home. I have no idea. Yes. But she said this. She said, I keep seeing posts about a day of service. Pause. Nope. I believe in service, but why is that we're constantly told that we can't ever be off? We're not going to do what we did with MLK Day, celebrate or learn some history, but don't turn this into a day where we have to feel obliged to do something. And and I really that really struck with me. Um, I, I kind of agree with all of it, but it really struck with me with it, that idea of, you know, absolutely service is important and it's important for our communities and it's important for our well-being. But this idea that there is never a time to be still, mm-hmm. um, how, does that connect at all to this, this black rest theory that you're working with? It definitely does. The idea of stillness is one of, I guess, like the pillars of our work, especially because when we think about um, a term we use, which is generational rest debt, and you come up, up to mean that um, taking from kind of like the concept of epigenetics is that internally we have this um, informed understanding of how our bodies should be and that's informed through our DNA that we are always moving and working and it's in our blood that we have been conditioned to um, work ourselves to death and uh, with that understanding, that term that we use, the pillar of being still is trying to heal that generational trauma that we were forced to work and being still was um, dangerous for us in a lot of ways and for a very long time. And epigenetics is one of those things that um, people say is not like entirely evidence-based. But I do think, you know, you can trace the line in a lot of people's family history of just working and working and working and working to a certain point. And even after you get to that point, you, have, you there's this understanding of working for the next generation and then that generation will work too. So it's definitely at least a psychological value that we hold true. And that is not because of any fault of our own, but because we had to. And what we try to uh, convey in our messages is that now is the time to be still because we've always been able to do that. Even though we have this concept of uh, working um, diligently and being the best that we possibly can at what we do, we have rested in the past, and I think that's 
um, different for each individual family, but there are a lot of ways that we talk about that are um, that Black folks have healed themselves, especially through um, these what we call like Black meditative practices, um, which isn't like a term that's like uh, just specific to us, but we do try to think about how what meditation is and how Black folks do that, uh, rather than taking meditation as um, as it's used in, like, maybe a white wellness community. And an example of that, which I just heard recently on NPR, I didn't catch who it was, but there was a man talking about um, the vagus nerve and how humming has helped a lot of people working in the field to get. And um, that is something that we highlight, too, that humming is a Black meditative practice. Um, sitting on the porch is a Black meditative practice. And so we definitely try to, instead of teaching, we try to help people remember what meditation is and what it has mean, meant for us culturally. Um, and even, again, another example would be hair braiding. And I hear a lot of my clients in my private practice work um, talking about how doing hair is a healing thing for them to do. I think the um, in saying that in a certain context, it might be lost, especially if we don't recognize it as meditation. But all those things are definitely in their mindfulness practices that we've been doing for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. And I really love that. I, the, um, that whole concept, that mindfulness concept has been in some ways kind of, you know, abused, right? Like this, mm-hmm. you know, this, there's this kind of rigidity to it. And I remember talking to a buddy of mine at some point, um, and he was telling me some things I needed to do. And one of the things that he said is, you know, he's like, you, you do stuff. You do, I'm a yoga teacher. He's like, you do that kind of stuff. What, you know, have you connected into your own mindfulness behavior, right? And he's mm-hmm. like, I wash dishes. That's what he does. And he takes mm-hmm. his time and he washes them well. I don't think he likes it. I don't think that that was something that he actually enjoys, but it was something that forced him to slow down even for a few minutes. And mm-hmm. I really think about that. Like, you know, every, every, I guess I'm getting old enough to be almost somebody's elder at some point, right? Mm-hmm. But every older woman that I know has always hummed. Mm-hmm. You know, my grandmothers, my great grandmothers, my mom, everybody hums mm-hmm. while they're doing something or this kind of low singing, even if it's not necessarily humming, but it's not a, a big breath out, but it's just, it's a quiet just for them mm-hmm. sort of thing. And porch sitting is like my favorite thing. I think, yeah. you know, yeah. houses with porches look friendly. Yes. They, look, they look like they'll receive you and sitting on a porch and seeing somebody and going, hey, and then going back to not whatever you're doing is, is mm-hmm. amazing. It's absolutely I love the idea of kind of coming back into this space and starting to remember these places where we are still and quiet with ourselves and, and mm-hmm. naming them as a piece of our stillness. I wouldn't have thought of those things um, mm-hmm. had you not mentioned them, but I, I just think that's, I think that's absolutely lovely. Um, mm-hmm. oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's making me smile. and like, <laughs> that's really exciting. Okay. Um, I, Talk to me a little bit about the the Black Dream Escape. What are you guys, what are you building? What is it that you're up to? Right. We are building this Black Rest Therapy modality, which is basically, again, helping people remember what mindfulness looks like to them in their lives and 
how rest is possible even if you can't carve out a specific amount of time for it. And we do that for exclusively Black and Indigenous people. Uh, we accept the reparations free from uh, non-Black individuals um, for our live sessions. So that is the crux of our work, that uh, we mix wind of fire spirituality knowledge with my therapeutic knowledge and also coming together that we're both musicians. And that's pretty much the foundation of us. So we're working on an album that is a meditative exploration album uh, about Black meditative practices and kind of like a, a guide for those practices to help people remember. And we do lullaby sessions. Um, right now we are on a series called Black Rest Thought Pathways. And it's just a, a weekly series on YouTube that has some interviews, but a lot of the concepts are basically us talking about these Black Rest ideas. Um, when it relates to therapy and spirituality. Um, and we don't use them as instructionals, but more like, what if? What is this? What is that? Because we would also like people to reflect and think about how what we're saying relates to their own individual life. And we want people to look inward and identify the self in them rather than um, there's no problem with saying that, you know, we're a black community and that we're a collective, but we don't want people to think that there is one way to go about this or that we all have similar experience. And so whatever works for me or for Windifier will work for them. And we want to make that explicit because we do encourage the deep reflection that it will take to rest and figure out why or why not it might be happening in someone's life. So the album is is something that is in process right now. You guys are, are recording, and then you've got the things on YouTube. Are you doing any any workshops right now? I know with, with COVID, a lot of people have come into a digital realm. I don't know if you're offering things that way, or, or, or are there any things that are happening like that? Not right now. We are mostly focusing on the lullaby sessions about pathways and working on writing songs. We I've done workshops in the past based on um like the senses of rest that I talk about sometimes. I have this um um from the rest assessments that I've done in the past, I've developed the seven senses of rest that I do workshops on sometimes and then I also um, in the past, have done like rest prayer workshops on how to rest, uh, write a rest period. So those are the kind of workshops we do, or we just teach about the theories, which is um, again something that is just like specific to us because of our different, um, I guess, expertise. When defined or not. Nice. That's, I just that just sounds so lovely. As someone who has who has spent her life pushing too hard and running too fast, yeah. um, this idea of being able to slow down and and really what comes up and what bubbles up in those spaces between activity is mm -hmm. often really lovely and clear 
and delightful and all of the good things, right? But mm-hmm. you have to be slow, and I have to be slow enough for those things to to happen. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting because right now I feel like I'm on this, you know, this forced rest, right? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not going to. There's this kind of strange duality that's happening. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. We are in the middle of a communal and individual trauma. Um, I know what the fallout of this is going to be for a lot of people. This isn't going to be great, you know, mental health wise for a lot of folks, right? This is hard stuff that we're dealing with. Um, we are, you know, in the middle of a reckoning perhaps for this country, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, and yet this time to slow down has been so incredibly valuable, mm-hmm. um, to, you know, to not feel like we're, we work between us, my husband and I, about five jobs, right? Mm-hmm. So we're always on the go and we've got a young kid and we've got an older kid and, um, and we're never still. And we've mm-hmm. been probably the most still since we've been married. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just mm-hmm. still and quiet and able to just kind of do simple things like try to grow vegetables, right? Like I never had time to do anything like that or, you know, he's become a very good pizza dough maker, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's much better than anything we buy. Um, and so what is this, what are you seeing or hearing from folks or are you about what's happening for them right now in this time of COVID? Um, and, and maybe the second part of that question is, you know, what opportunities can you encourage people to look for right now? Even though it does feel crazy, I'm not mm-hmm. discounting that, but there are if for some people, some more spaces to kind of be still. Do those questions mm-hmm. make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I've been hearing from the most recent rest assessments I've done, and I offer 15-minute, like, free rest consultation, uh, therapeutic rest. And so what I've been hearing a lot from people is kind of what you've been saying, that rest is foreign and that the anxiety is kind of overriding that ability to rest. What I've been saying to a lot of people is that it's important to remember that rest is something that could be one second long or an hour. And this is something that I've learned um, just from that um, study uh, of, about learning rest outside of like my own practice is that, you know, your breath is rest. When you breathe, you are taking a time to rest and doing intentional breathing is basically just recognizing your ability to rest. You're recognizing your breath and you're recognizing your rest. And I try to steer away from making it seem like rest has to be this luxurious, extravagant experience. It's beautiful as it is, but it can, like I said, literally take five seconds and a moment of stillness by breathing is all that you really need to do, I think, when it comes to like regulating your nervous system and looking inward and um, recognizing that internal self really doesn't have to be a whole thing. Um, And I think a lot of people too, and wanting to shift attention away from anxiety or the depression that might have come from being at home or the realizations, all of the many realizations that might have come, that it is hard to focus inward and recognize that there are 
ways that you can enter that you've been to links that you might not have realized but I've been trying to tell people that um, do the the 15-minute rest assessments that uh, they're the expert in their own lives and that the answers have always been there the, the least I can do is help you again remember that um, I don't think I need to do a lot of teaching for people because especially when it comes to um, blackness and healing, it's that we, our bodies have been saving us, our minds have been saving us, and maybe some of the ways that we have healed haven't been at the right time, and, you know, they, we protect ourselves in different ways that aren't always the healthiest for us, and that's just for any human, but we've come so far now and not because of any ignorance when it comes to healing we've been doing it naturally and that's what I've been trying to um, help people remember is that again the answer is in you you know how there's you have to have know how you know you're I tell people you know you're 30 years old you're 50 years old obviously you got into this point some way and it wasn't always because of external forces um I don't know if I answered all of your questions but that's what I've seen. That's what I've been telling people. And I hope that I explain it in a way that is simple, that rest is so simple. Again, the breath. Um, I know a lot of people, accept, especially when it comes to um, panic disorders or anxiety disorders, is, is that we forget about breath. And some folks even hold their breath. I mean, especially when you're having a panic attack, your breath is, it feels like it's against you. But Starting off with that and recognizing your breath even for five seconds is your rest practice, or it could be. And I think that's the beauty of this um, in conjunction with other types of healing is that it's so easy to remember, and we've been doing it since the beginning of our lives. You know, that first breath out of the womb, we were resting. Um, I like to think of it that way is that it's the original healing modality, <laughs> you know, because we, yeah, we, in order to live, we have to rest first, we have to breathe first. Mm -hmm. I love that. I really love that a lot. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to jot that down. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. So I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm going to ask, is there... Mm -hmm. Is there a little something that you might be able to offer for the listeners this evening? Maybe I don't, you know, I don't have these things on the top of my head, so I'm just asking. Um, but are the, is there a meditation or a small breath practice or something that we could walk through together so that folks that are listening can get a little taste of what it is that they might they might encounter in your work? Oh, sure. I don't have my ukulele with me, and I usually do, but I we can walk through the breathing exercise that we do um, during our live sessions, and then I can offer some affirmations that I think might be timely. Yes, let's do that. Or, cool. Well, okay. I'll do, and you say. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, okay. cool. Okay. <laughs> so the um, the breathing exercise is called the relaxation breath, I believe, it's or the 478 breath, and we'll do three cycles of that. So you breathe in for four, and we'll start now. One, two, three, four, and you hold for seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and you release for eight. One, two, three, four, 
five, six, seven, eight. So we're going to go to the second round. You breathe in for four. One, two, three, four. And you hold for seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And you release for eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. In our last cycle, you're going to breathe in for four. One, two, three, four. Hold for seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And release for eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And the affirmation I would like to give right now is that rest will not be forced upon us and we will rest. Mm. And uh, we'll do three cycles of that. So if you'll say it with me. Okay. In our first cycle, rest will not be forced upon us and we will rest. Rest will not be forced upon us and we will rest. Rest will not be forced upon us and we will rest. Rest will not be forced upon us and we will rest. Rest will not be forced upon us and we will rest. Rest will not be forced upon us and we will rest. <sighs> May it be so. How lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, is there anything else that, that we need to know? Um, I've got a couple of notes here. I want to make sure that people know where to find you. And so we'll mm -hmm. put those in the show notes. You guys are Black Dream Escape and you've got a YouTube channel that's happening. I'm following you on Facebook. Um, and so I'll make sure to put all of that information in our show notes. Is there anything else that, that you want to cover before we go? Mm. No, I think. We've covered a lot. I um I always like to give thanks to all the artists and the healers and the thinkers that have been growing this rest movement. And we're just appreciative that we can also add something. And if people are interested, you know, like you previously said, we, we do have a YouTube channel. And if you like the sound of my voice, <laughs> we have videos. Um, we upload every Wednesday. And we're um, hashing out some other series there. That's pretty much it, yes. Um, we're always trying to be innovative with the way that we present our content. And so it's exciting to watch. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's absolutely, I think it's absolutely fascinating. I love, I love this space. Um, I'm becoming really aware of how much and how important it is and how little resting I was doing, right? Mm. Always moving, always shifting, always, you know, I've got the monkey mind and it's going all the time and right. it feels nice to be slower. And so mm. I want to hold on to this even, you know, even when we leave the house and go back to whatever the world looks like after this, I want to be right. able to continue with this sort of pace and this feeling. So I'm so glad you guys are doing this work. I mm. can't, I can't wait to see this just, bloom and blossom in all these sort of ways it just feels so deeply important oh thank you so much oh yes thank you onika thank you so much for coming and joining me mm -hmm. um and we're just going to sign off now i, I hope you have okay. a great night thank you all right thank you, thank you. all right
Thanks for joining us this week on Your Life After. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of our patrons. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe so you'll never miss out. Information about becoming a patron, show notes, and transcripts from today's episode can be found on our website, wsw.center slash your life after. That's wsw.center slash your life after, or just go to the homepage and click podcast from the main menu. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. Be peaceful.